day. Welcome to the Breitbart News Podcast. An amazing day. We spent an hour celebrating this Supreme Court decision. Absolutely fantastic. Great news for America. Great news for marginalized people. And to have it before the uh, Independence Day weekend is, uh, is beautifully poetic. We'll take it. So we spend the first segment here breaking down a lot of the argument talking about Thomas Sowell, who's been for decades, talking about how affirmative action is bad for black people. Um, and I don't know if in this segment or not, we debunked some of uh, Judge Jackson's uh, comments as to why she thinks affirmative action is necessary still. Um, but we did a lot of Clarence Thomas in this first segment, which is super important to read everything he said. He's just, it's just perfect, perfection. So let's celebrate a little bit of that, the wonderful decision by the Supreme Court to end affirmative action. Enjoy. wonderful day it is today a crushing blow to the education system as we know it coming out of the supreme court supreme court ending affirmative action in higher education breitbart.com has great resources all about this that is the main thing we're going to be talking about today and i am so excited for today's show i am passionate about this topic and there's so much to do and we have so much to quote and that's one of the things I love about SiriusXM is we have plenty of time to sit down and settle down and, and do this properly. First, I want to start with some of the arguments against affirmative action. Why affirmative action is a bad thing for marginalized people. It's a bad thing for our country, but it's also bad for the very people that they say it is supposed to help. Little background here, uh, just so you know, moving forward, I will always play Thomas Sowell clips over me. <laughs> Thomas Sowell is always better than me. So when I know of a clip of Thomas Sowell on a given topic, I will always play it instead of me talking. So here he is testifying in front of Congress in the 80s about this topic. Now, you, do you believe that mandatory proportional representation benefits minorities. No, in fact, I think one of the great handicaps that uh, blacks and other minorities face across the country is that they are systematically mismatched with universities in the admissions process. That is, if, if Harvard feels that it must have X percent of blacks, and if the pool is such that they can't get X percent of blacks at the same level as the rest of the Harvard students, they're gonna take those blacks who would have succeeded in some state university and bring them to Harvard where many of them will fail or MIT is a better example, that the average black student at MIT is in the bottom 10% of M MIT students in math, but he is in the top 90% of all American students in math because MIT students are so phenomenal in mathematics. Something like one-fourth of all the black students going to MIT do not graduate. You're talking about a pool of people who score at the 90th percentile in math whom you are artificially turning into failures by mismatching them with the school. Mm. It's true in law school as well. Black students mismatch to their law school. They go to a more, a more elite school than they'd otherwise be qualified for. And then they are therefore more likely to fail the bar exam than a black student who goes to a more appropriately matched school. Does that make sense? So affirmative action has hurt black people. There are currently fewer black lawyers today because of affirmative action. Think about that. 
There are fewer black lawyers because these black uh, students go to or put into more elite law schools in the name of affirmative action and then failed out or failed the bar exam after than if they went to a more appropriately matched school. They would have been better off going to a more appropriately matched school without affirmative action. So this is another progressive policy that hurts black people as, as almost every progressive policy does. Now, I've heard the argument that affirmative action, Slater, doesn't take lower qualified black people and put them into more elite schools. What it does is, is it takes the most qualified black people and, and, and puts them into the, the same school that they are actually qualified for, but that they wouldn't get into because of their skin color. So they take, um, let's say, they take, uh, let's say there's a school that takes a thousand students, right? And normally they take a thousand white people. I'm just going to exaggerate for the sake of simplicity here. We got a lot of numbers today. So uh, they take a thousand students. Normally they take a thousand white people. But because of affirmative action, they're going to take a hundred black people. They're not going to choose a hundred low performing black people. They're going to choose 100 black people that are of equal academic uh, value or ability as the white people. If that were true, then in 1987, there were 213 black students admitted to Berkeley. All of them are there in affirmative action. What percent of them failed out? Of the 213 black students at Berkeley University, what percentage of them failed out? You would think it would be the same percentage as everyone else who failed out. So I don't know, like 3%, 4%, 5%, 70% failed out. 70% of black students failed out of Berkeley. Now there's another insidious thing that happens. There are some black students who do graduate from universities, of course, affirmative action students. But let's say they, they went to a more elite school and they wanted to major in chemistry. But they couldn't keep up with the chemistry program at Berkeley or wherever. So in an effort to not completely flunk out of the university, they instead do some stupid fake major like ethnic studies, which anyone can graduate. They would have been way better off going to a state school and majoring in chemistry. So than going to an elite school and majoring in some goofy major. So is it better for a black student to get a top-tier education at a good college or a third-rate education at a top college or even flunk out altogether? So I know that's a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm just going to be like this all day. Mismatch. That's the takeaway. Affirmative action has mismatched students to the wrong schools to their own detriment. Another thing. Because of affirmative action, one can rationally assume that a minority student at an elite university is only there because of affirmative action. That is an unfortunate conclusion to make, but it is a rational conclusion to make. That there's a black student at Harvard, let's say, and they're only there because of affirmative action. They don't really deserve to be there. They're only there because they got the, the special opportunity. But what about the black student who is qualified to be there? That black student who is qualified, who's a genius, is lumped in with all the other token black affirmative action students, and that is unjust to them. And I'll give you an example. The first black person to earn his PhD in America was a guy named Edward Boucher at Yale University, who was a physicist. 
What year do you think that was? What year do you think the first black person earned his PhD? Clearly, it's after the Civil War. I mean, right? So, so but like, well, after the Civil War, it's got to be probably 1976, right? It would have been after Civil War, but after Civil Rights, uh, when, when we really gave black people opportunities to go to school, and then he had to go to school and then go to, you know, get his PhD. So that takes time. So we got like, like 1970s, maybe 1980s, first black PhD. 1876. 1876. So when Edward Boucher was at Yale University, do you think the people at Yale in the physics department thought that he did not deserve to be there? No way. They knew that he had to be an absolute genius to be there. They knew he deserved to be there. No one thought he was an affirmative action hire. Unfortunately, affirmative action has made people come to unfortunate, although rational conclusions about their fellow students, and that's unjust. I have more arguments, but those are three right there about how affirmative action hurts black people. One, mismatching them at schools that they uh, are higher likelihood of failing out of. Mismatching their majors where they would otherwise major in a more appropriate topic. And then also the the social consequences of affirmative action and people rationally considering that you don't really deserve to be here and you're different than. I think those are three pretty good arguments against affirmative action. Now, there's many, many more, but those are just three arguments about why affirmative action is bad for black people. I have more, but let's go to the Supreme Court case. So here's the deal. Harvard and UNC and almost every other school, but those are the two in question. By the way, except for schools in California, this is really interesting. California does not have affirmative action. California universities do not have affirmative action. Isn't that wild? That we banned it in 1966. Oh, this is so interesting. So in 19... Did I say 66? 1996. So in 1996, the voters of California passed Prop 209, which ended affirmative action. We passed it 55 to 45. I got to stop saying we. I don't live in California. They passed it 55 to 45. We do not want affirmative action. Then, and you may say, oh, Slater, that was uh, a long time ago. It was a million years ago. 1994. We were very racist back then. In 2020, There was another proposition, Prop 16, which would have brought affirmative action back. This was in 2020. So the people of California had an opportunity to bring affirmative action back to California universities. And it failed 57 to 42. This was in 2020. This was a post-George Floyd era. The, The tagline was, yes on Prop 16, equal opportunity for all Californians. And it failed. The people of California, which is a uh, majority minority state, the majority of vast, but 50, even a more, a greater percentage than ended it in the first place said, no, we do not want affirmative action in our state. So we do not have it. So when the governor of California, let's see if I have it here, uh, he said, uh, oh, there's two tweets. He said, I don't know where the other one is. Uh, the, the one I don't have in front of me, he says, um, oh, this will lead to a major drop off of black students at universities. What are you talking about? Gavin? You are the governor of a state that does not have affirmative action. It's fine. The schools are fine. Berkeley's fine. USC's fine. Stanford's fine. Like the schools are fine, <laughs> right? There's no like like no one's like oh I got to get out of California. Black people just don't go to university here. The schools are fine. 
So you could just look at California as a perfect case study of what, what it's like without affirmative action. It's fine. Gavin Newsom also tweeted, they want to whitewash our nation's history. Don't know what that is. They want to bring America back to the era of book bans and segregated campuses. What are you talking about, Gavin? What are you talking about? The segregation that exists on college campuses today are from the minority students, are from the progressives on the campus. It's the black student unions. It's the black dorm rooms. It's the black-only dining halls. It's the Asian Pacific Islander uh, dorm building. It's all this nonsense. You are the ones who are segregating campuses. It is not white people who are segregating university campuses. You're segregating campuses. Self-segregating. <laughs> what are you talking about? Anywho. Uh, there's a couple other states that don't have affirmative action. Florida, Michigan, Nebraska, Arizona, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, Idaho, California. There's eight. Eight states don't have affirmative action. They're fine. No one's like, oh, wow, the school's in Michigan. Michigan and Oklahoma, wow. You know, it's really ter- horrible to be, like, it's okay. Uh, when, um, yeah, another one, I'll, share, I'll save that another day. I'll save that later in the show. So here's the, here's the, here's the verdict, the ruling. The 14th Amendment now applies. Here we go. Here we go. The 14th Amendment provides that no state shall deny to any person the equal protection of the laws. This is the, the Chief Justice Roberts. The 14th Amendment guarantees, quote, that the law in the United States shall be the same for the black as for the white, that all persons, whether colored or white, shall stand equal before the law of the states. Of course, that's what the 14th Amendment, of course, says. And I love this line. Eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. This is important. The 14th Amendment does not say that uh, the state shall not deny to black people equal protection of the law. Or the state shall lift up black people in all ways in American society. That's not what the 14th Amendment says. The 14th Amendment says that the states shall not deny to any person equal protection of the laws that includes Asians which is what this is really all about that includes Asians the equal protection clause says that you cannot elevate someone because of their race and you can also not uh, treat as a negative someone because of their race you can't elevate you can't negate you must treat equal And that's what these admissions uh, processes at Harvard and other universities have done to Asians for a long time. That is the group that has been most hurt by affirmative action. Back in the 20s or so, uh, the, 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 the admissions process was designed to hurt Jewish students. The Ivy League started uh, programs to stop Jews from going to their schools. And now the effect has been to keep Asians out of their schools. There's been so many studies on this, but uh, one of them says that an Asian student needs to score 140 SAT points higher than a white student to get into a school, 320 SAT points higher than a Hispanic, and 450 SAT points higher than a black applicant to get in. That is a negative handicap, a massive negative handicap that Asian students have been working with uh, uphill to get into a school. So a black student 
could get into a school with a thousand SAT, the Asian would need a fourteen fifty. <laughs> those are cosmically different scores. A student with a thousand versus a fourteen fifty, those are completely different planets. But that's the negative handicap that Asians had against them. Isn't that amazing? Uh, let me give you one more. I know it's early, but let me give you another uh, math here. Okay. Uh, is this it? Yeah. Okay. So if you take all the applicants of all the different races, I hate the term race, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but if you take all the applicants and uh, you break them up into uh, 10%, so a percentile. So first, 10th percentile, 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, all the way to right? So 10th percentile is your lowest 10% of students. 90th percentile is your highest 90%, right? So it's better, smarter to be in the 90th percentile. The chance of a black student getting into a university when they are in the 40th percentile, so that means they're, they're in the top 40% of performing students, right? So they're better than 40% of this, right? So not great, right? 40th percentile. They, that, that black student in the 40th percentile has a higher chance of getting into a university than an Asian student in the 100th percentile. So the smartest of the smart Asian student has as much chance of getting into a university as a, like a pretty dumb black student, like, four, you know, like 40, or like, like below, I'll say below average, a below average black student has the same chance as a as the highest performing Asian student. That is wildly unjust. Great ending here from Chief Justice Roberts. Many universities have for too long wrongly concluded that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the touchstone of an identity is the color of their skin. And this nation's constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. That is beautiful. We cannot tolerate that choice. Th- this, this decision is amazing uh, because especially Clarence Thomas, which we'll get to, uh, his, his decision here is not, it doesn't just touch on the legality of it. It's the morality of it. And it is such a rebuke to the era that we live in today. Our, our Black Lives Matter, post-George Floyd, anti-racist crusading culture we have today that says you can't be colorblind. To be colorblind is to be racist by default. You have to be anti-racist. You have to actively see color all the time. You have to actively discriminate in favor of the marginalized. And I give it to Ibram X. Kendi Henry Rogers, his real name, for being honest. I give it to him for being honest. He's a maniac, but he's honest. He says that the only way, his book is How to Be an Anti-Racist. He said the only way to rectify past discrimination is with present and future discrimination. At least he's honest. It's unconstitutional, it's immoral, it's wrong, but it's honest. Let me read a little more here from the uh, decision. Uh, Okay, so Chief Justice Roberts says that in order to discriminate based on race, the 
the school needs to give a compelling reason as to why this is necessary. Actually, this is Clarence Thomas, not Roberts. This is Clarence Thomas. So the school needs to give a compelling reason why they must discriminate based on race. He says Harvard and UNC offered a grab bag of interests to justify their programs, spanning from, oh, well, we're, we're training future leaders in the public and private sectors to enhancing appreciation, respect, and empathy with references to better educating their students through diversity. The court today finds that each of these interests are too vague and immeasurable to suffice, and I agree. The point of a university is to, well, we'll get to this later too, but the point of a university was to better educate students and to just say, ah, more diverse is better. The court's like, no, that's not. (laughs) You have to prove that. You can't just say that. He says the court failed to clearly define, or, uh, this is referring to a different court decision. Anyway, the, the, the Harvard failed to clearly define the educational benefits of a diverse student body. I have sought to understand exactly how racial diversity yields educational benefits. With nearly 50 years, and that's so, that's so interesting because the left just assumes, like, oh, it's, uh, like, duh, obviously, more, uh, more black people, more Asians, more Hispanics, that leads to better educational benefits. And here's Clarence Thomas being like, I, well, how? With nearly 50 years to develop their arguments, neither Harvard nor UNC, two of the foremost research institutions in the world, could explain that critical link. No, like they, they, you can't just assume it, prove it. And Thomas makes such a good point here. He says, we're having this whole conversation about racial diversity, but there are other kinds of diversity there are other kinds of diversity. For instance, Harvard doesn't take into account a person's religion when applying. So if you want to make the argument that two students with different religious perspectives may result in a better college experience, but why race? Here's what I mean. Here's what Justice Thomas says. Take two white students. Two white students. One from rural Appalachia and another from a wealthy San Francisco suburb. Those two white students may have more diverse outlooks on life than a black and a white student who went to an elite prep school in Manhattan's Upper East Side. Oh, but their skin colors are different. The, the two kids who went to the elite prep school in, in uh, Manhattan, one's white, one's black, therefore uh, they're, more, they're more diverse. I don't think they're more diverse than the, the guy from West Virginia and the guy from San Francisco who are both white. Because race isn't the only factor about diversity. But to many, it's the most important. But they still can't make the argument as to why more diverse skin color improves a student's educational experience. But here's the rub. Of course it doesn't, but universities don't exist for education anymore. They do not exist for education. That is not the reason they're there. I'm trying to think if I should pivot here because I'm going to throw a wet blanket on all this. Let's not, I'm, I'm, let me, let's just take, let's take a break. I could literally rant about this for hours and hours and hours. I want to take your phone call as well. 866-95-PATRIOT. Uh, what do you think is decision? Do you support this? Uh, or, or are you a fan of affirmative action? Do you think we still need affirmative action today? 866-95-PATRIOT. I don't want to ruin it yet <laughs> because this is amazing. This is wonderful. This is a big deal. And let's celebrate a win. Let's thank Donald Trump for three Supreme Court justices. 
We've had a very racist system in higher education for a long time. One that clearly violated the, the 14th Amendment, there's no question. But more than that, though, just violated just every American core value of fairness and equality and equal opportunity. And that was just destroyed by the Supreme Court, that unjust system. And that's wonderful news. Well done. Let's celebrate that for two minutes during this commercial. And we'll come back and I'll throw a wet blanket on it. Because do not think for one second that the education system from this point forward is going to improve. That they are suddenly going to become a, a, a beacon of merit at these universities. They will double down on what they've done and it will get even worse. And I believe this will hasten the complete demise of the university system because of what these universities are going to become in light of this decision. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. I'm Mike Slater. We talked on the show today with the great Alex Marlowe, of course, editor-in-chief of Breitbart.com and the man who was in the captain's chair for many, many years until last week, who I'm so grateful for. Uh, And we talked uh, about a couple things. Mostly, we started off, I should say, at least with the affirmative action decision. We'll get his take right now. Listen, I may be the current host, but the host is Alexander Marlowe. Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Alex, how you doing, man? Mike, happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day to the audience and to producer Bill. Zach's already on Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> it, it, so what do you think? How was, your, how was your main voyage the first week? I have heard you don't even have a chair in your in your studio yet and you're yeah. still dazzling the audience Daz- dazzling from uh, from a seated position that's wait till you hear next week next week when i get a desk and a chair <laughs> be profound I, 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 I heard i think it was tuesday show I, I heard the phones actually melted like they actually they literally melted you know in radio we say they figuratively are melted, <laughs> but i heard they actually had to get the crew out and saying that slater's got the phones going it's, that's it's how we like now. it man that's how we like it. No, it's been great. And uh, up from here, uh, have you, sir, been able to sleep? I imagined you still waking up at two o'clock just because habit, right? Now, how do you just? Break yeah, that? it's su- it's super awkward. Um, it is. It's it's a great question. No, it's a, the circadian rhythm. Uh, I'm, my wife could tell you a lot more about it than I could, but you can't reset it in like four days. And yeah. I've been pretty busy. So, like today, when I knew I had to set the alarm for around five. Uh, I had to, I was up at two thirty and it was not going back to bed. So, but, Man, that's but as I, as I've said to the audience many times, I'm up anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like I'm yeah. never sleeping. It's a I'm a terrible sleeper. I've always been a terrible sleeper. So may might as well, well be productive with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. Might as uh-huh. well do something while you're not sleeping, yep. <laughs> as opposed exactly. to sitting there. Um, all right, we got to talk about the big news of the day, and that is the affirmative sure. action. Um, yeah, uh, tremendous, Huge. right? Mm. The absolute best. I mean, it's such a wonderful. I just Clarence Thomas means so much to everyone in conservative media. Um, Clarence Thomas is someone who was targeted. He tried to get Joe Biden tried to take him out with the high tech lynching in the 90s. I think it was 1991. Uh, One of the most disgraceful performances of any U.S. senator in the history of the Republic. And the guy who's president now has to watch. Now, all these decades later, Clarence Thomas just, you know, throw a windmill dunk in his face. Um, And Clarence Thomas was also someone who was so important to Andrew. He was instrumental to Andrew Breitbart's 
conversion from his default factory setting liberalism to conservatism and not to mention all the other great judges who are part of it all the Trump judges Um, but uh, I just love when I can put Clarence Thomas's uh, picture as the lead image because I know it triggers (laughs) all the right people brightboard.com so uh, I'm thrilled and and affirmative action is such a funny brainwash they they've even got us using the term I know we use the term yesterday it's race-based preferencing it's racism that's systematic that's built in and it's just so obvious it needed to go, and it's just what a great way to go into Independence Day weekend. Yeah, I'm glad you started with talking about Clarence Thomas, because as we read a lot of it earlier today, which is one reason I love SiriusXM so much, is we can take the time to do that when the rest of the media doesn't. Um, you could tell how much this was a personal crusade. Like This meant a lot to him personally. And if anyone's read his autobiography, which you must, it's a quick, easy, wonderful read. Yeah. Uh, you can see just how much this means to him. But then on the other side, it obviously means a lot to Katani Jackson as well. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> she wouldn't have right. this job without it. And you could just see the difference between their two writings on this topic that, that is personal to them. Yeah, I think this is that's why I mentioned Thomas is just because what he is, his opinion is so brilliant. Um, and there's so many quotable moments that everyone should go go back or hear parts of the show that um, were, were my covered it. Uh, but yes. And, and again, Mike, I'm sure this came up earlier in the broadcast, but it's the the, the fact that he was tarred with affirmative action. He felt like yep. he had earned his spot into Yale and then uh, and and which he had it was not affirmative action but he was falsely accused of being a beneficiary of affirmative action his whole life and this is exactly when i worked for my first boss in media larry elder who's a black man and incredibly accomplished and did everything you could do under the sun running for president now um and he he had the same he had the same thing he said that why would you want to take a highly capable uh a black person who won by merit and tell the whole world that maybe they won by cheating, essentially, mm-hmm. the systematic cheating that was put into place. Why would you want that on them? Uh, and I thought, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense because whenever I earn something, I want to earn it. I don't want to be given something. It'd be nice if they go after next, they go after some of the legacy affirmative action because there's other affirmative actions in college um, admissions, for example, and there's a lot of affirmative actions in the workplace that I also don't like. But I think this is a great place to start because this is it is sort of the most offensive because they're using race. So I'm, I'm, I want to celebrate. We did a lot today. It's awesome. It's yeah. great. As you said, going to the 4th of July weekend, fantastic. Um, but then I, not to throw a wet blanket on it all, I'm thinking about what's next. What are universities going to do now? And mm. there's no way that those same people at Berkeley and Harvard and the rest sure. are going to say, you know what? Clarence was right. This yeah. we have been super <laughs> racist. We should really turn things around here and become a merit-based yep. education institution. So I think they're just going to get way better at hiding it and get rid yep. of all academic everything, even the pretense of academia in universities. Uh, yeah, that's not it, good. it's already happening. You're 100 percent correct on this because if you think about how a lot of these schools are removing test scores because uh, is a is a, you don't need to take some of these standardized tests to get admitted. Now, why are they doing that? They're doing that because the perception is the tests favor certain ethnic groups uh, and thus the tests are racist. It's not that certain ethnic groups have a culture of stronger work ethic or they have a stronger family backgrounds or that they uh, even have uh, even have more 
uh, focus on preparing for this test, you know, they make it seem like cer- certain ethnic groups are discriminated against, thus they have less money, thus they have less resources to train for the test, thus the scores are bad. So that's why they've dropped it as a requirement in a lot of cases, and I don't have all the schools off the top of my head, but major schools are not requiring standardized tests, which is another way of doing this affirmative action, race-based preferences uh, in their view. That's how they would phrase it. Uh, without it actually being literally black people get five points, white people get one point, Asian people get negative three points. Like it, it, they're not, it's not a point yeah. system, but they're still trying to institutionalize it. The left will never stop. It's one of the great lessons, Mike, that I know we all know. <laughs> uh, t- t- the, the talk radio audience knows that better than anyone. Yeah. You mentioned culture, um, culture of academia, one of them. Uh, we shared this fact earlier that a black student in the 40th percentile, so below mm-hmm. the middle, has a higher chance of getting into an elite university than an Asian student in the 100th percentile, the 99th percentile. So they're the smartest of the smart. Yeah. So, so a below average black student has a better chance of getting in than, than a super elite top-notch Asian student. And I think the numbers are, uh, if, if a black student needs a 1,000 SAT, an Asian student needs a 1,450 SAT. And those are just mm-hmm. cosmically different. Those aren't different plans. But the reason I bring that up is because as, I'm, as I'm, I'm interested in cultural differences, I'm interested in the fact that Asians historically in America have not been that politically involved, not as much as like the Irish or um, black people. Yes. And But they have recently, when it comes to this, education in particular, and in California in particular, and that's, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to think about that or what that's going to mean, but good for them, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. And I'm also wondering if this will, here's one of the things that always blows my mind about the way the world has been conditioned, uh, how the country just still so many people who are apolitical default to Democrat good, Republican bad. I, I'm wondering how could you see something like what you just laid out and not think, well, now it's time to be time to be conservative. So we're, we're losing out. Literally, we're getting set back because of left wing Democrat policies and the judges they put forward and the ideology they espouse and the race obsession that they have, which discriminates against us. Uh, how could they still vote for Democrats? They shouldn't. Right. So you would hope this would make a difference. And yet somehow it doesn't overall in the end. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe this will change. It does feel like culturally things are really different. Uh, um, I, I was talking to my uh, I got my haircut this week and I get my haircut in Beverly Hills and I have a uh, my hair cutter does all these uh, uh, stylists. You got to say stylist now. That's right. He does. He, he does all these celebrities. He's uh, a gay guy lives in West Hollywood. And does he know um, who you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and this, this is where I'm going with it. And then he said that he um, that he was asking me to fill him in on stuff. And I asked him what he thought of Joe Biden. And he looked at me like, how dare you ask that? Of course, I hate Joe Biden. Like, like it was, uh, uh, no, I don't like Joe Biden. It was offensive that I even asked his opinion. And that's really interesting because we're talking about, you know, gay, gay hairstylists in Beverly Hills. Now, the, 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 she's been on the other foot my whole life. Is that <laughs> sure, you would sure. think that how dare I share my politics? No, now it's the opposite. If you're a Joe Biden fan, it would be embarrassing mm. to share that now in the middle of town. And that's, that's different. I'm not saying that's for everyone, you know, it's one anecdote, but it's, I, I feel like I'm having that experience much more often, but does that even make a difference if the left's ballot harvesting operation is so much better than ours? That's a longer 
topic for another day. But it just does feel like, Mike, do you feel that way that we're, we're getting through to some people at least a little bit on a broader level? I, I, so it's funny. I was, I was sharing the story yesterday for some reason. I forget why it came up. But uh, I knew Trump was going to win when I was at some event and someone came up to me and we're just talking like normal people. And then he said, hey, Slater, what do you think of Donald Trump? He like whispered. They came in close and looked around and whispered. And I said, what do you think about him? He, was, he goes, I think I like him. And I was like, why are you whispering? Like, What's going on? Like we're event. And then I was in an Uber and it was me and another guy in the back seat. It was like an SUV and we were in the back seat. And uh, same thing happened. And he looked in the way back to see if there was anyone in the back seat before right, he told me right. he liked Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, we're just us, man. Uh, yeah. So there's something about like the keeping things quiet and being afraid to talk about certain things that that's like a unique thing. I don't know what to do with that exactly. And I wonder what yeah, that's true it, here too with Biden folks. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think it's shifted a little bit now. I think with the, some of the insane trans stuff and how mm. kind of pathetic Joe Biden is and uh, how pathetic the whole Biden operation is. They just present very poorly. It just does feel like it's cooler. Oh, and of course the left can't meme as the expression goes, the right just so much more interesting online than the left these days. So I don't know. It feels like there's some positive stuff happening again. It, it only matters um, to the point where it gives us hope. But again, we got to yeah. get our ground game going, but sure. it's when it, I, don't, I don't know. It feels it feels like culturally we're making some progress, at least a little when bit. you're sitting in the barber's chair or the salon mm. chair, as they would call yeah. it in Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's a salon. Yeah. Absolutely. And they and they ask you the guy, the gay guy asks you your yeah. thoughts on affirmative action. Would mm-hmm. you temper your comments at all? Even when it comes to the volume of your voice, knowing that the other people in the salon are not probably Breitbart.com aficionados. Um, That is such a great question. I feel like I've got this dialed in and I, it's all about tone. Um, And it feels like I would not do my, I'm ranting to my family at the dinner table uh, tone, but I would, I, I would use the same arguments. I would just make sure that I try to say it in the most calm way as possible. I would do my ASMR voice. Okay, that's um, right. Know, to, to, to try to soothe people with it, but I think I'd say the same stuff. Uh, Alex, you are missed. I've gotten lots of emails uh, saying such, and uh, so we're grateful for everything you've done and are continuing to do. Yeah, thank you. Can I can I plug that? As so many people have been reaching out. I, I will make some announcements about where my next projects. You can go to alexmarlow.com and sign up for. Yeah, my what are you doing? Like you can't just be n- sleeping n- in all day every day, Alex. Like you got to no. do something, man. Come on. No, I, I, I'm on the grind, and I'll, I'll fill people in on some new stuff. But there's some stuff up there already that people can check out. And people have been so kind, both to me and to you, Mike. Everyone is so uh, thrilled that uh, you got the nod, and everyone has been. I've gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails, and I'm reading all of them. I'm loving them. So thanks to all of you who've reached out. The uh, aloha at alexmarlow.com. Is that right? Exactly right. Perfect. Beautiful. You can get in touch with the with the big guy there. Alex, appreciate you, man. Mike, we'll see this again. And a you great too, 4th sir. of July. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Uh, I ask that we uh, follow the directions, the predictions of John Edwards. When he said that, yes, it should be solemnized with pomp and parade and shows, games, sports, gun bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forever. For this time forward forevermore. Yes, we must do that. Uh, But I also love when he said that it ought to be commemorated, the 4th of July, 
Independence Day as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Don't forget about the most important part of our independence. The one who really made it possible. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Spread the word.